Hey guys, and welcome to the Movement Docs Podcast. I'm Jake. And I'm Mike. And we're just two guys who want to help students and clinicians grow in the field of rehab. Welcome to the show. Hey guys, we're good. Oh, we're good. We're doing it. We're doing it live. Sorry. (laughs) Yeah, we're doing it live. We're going to do it live. Perfect. Live it is. Hey guys, and welcome to episode 32 of the Movement Docs podcast. We've got a very special guest on today, Dr. Daniel Adler. Dr. Daniel Adler graduated from Sacred Hearts University's DPT program in 2013 and also received her undergraduate degree in exercise science from Sacred Heart. Since 2016, she started gaining interest in working with the running population. She saw that there was a void in the running community that needed to be filled. That led her to start uh, led her to starting a little side hustle, Run Fit Doc, during doing running evaluations and coaching, which eventually turned into becoming a certified triathlon coach as well. Danielle is very passionate about educating runners and triathletes about how to decrease their injury risk and the importance in consistent smart training. Danielle recently started a new career endeavor, opening up her own cash-based PT and coaching practice called Starting Line PT and Performance. Danielle, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you for having me. Mm-hmm. So we're really excited. We're, <laughs> we're super pumped. We know this has been like, we, like, like we said before, we, we had some stuff going on and we couldn't podcast when we wanted to. And so we're glad we're finally able to make things work and connect with you and just hang out and get, get to talk. I'm looking forward to it. Should be good. Hmm. So what are we going to be talking about today, Jake? Um, I don't know, Mike. I just saw the thing, so I'm like going to really quickly scroll through this and try to osmosis some words out. <laughs> I'm seeing some stuff like running and like PT and running and social media. And so those are probably some stuff we're going to talk about. But uh, like always, we're going to kind of just let the conversation take us where it wants to go. Mm-hmm. Um and so, as always, I will ask my uh, background question so I can just kind of like easily sneak into the conversation. Um, <laughs> Danielle, um, is there anything that you didn't cover in your bio that maybe you'd like to let our listeners know more about you or kind of get a, a better idea of who RunFitDoc is? Yeah, absolutely. So I do love treating my patients, uh, but I do like doing things outside of work. Weird, right? <laughs> Uh, <laughs> so, so bizarre. Um, so I, clearly I like working with runners, but I myself like running. Um, I recently got into strength training a bit more seriously. And in the past two, two and a half years, I started doing triathlons as well. Uh, another thing that I really like to do that I don't give myself enough time to do is art. I really like painting. That's probably something that people don't know about me, but um, mm-hmm. I think at some point soon, hopefully I'll find a way to put that back into the mix. Yeah. What kind of, do you have like a certain medium of art that you like, or is it just all, all in general? Um, I like a, uh, acrylics. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're easy to mix. Oils take a, are a little bit harder to work with, uh, and you have to do a lot of layers, but yeah, haven't done that in a while, but hopefully, hopefully soon. So is acrylics the same style that Bob Ross did? I think he did watercolors. Oh. <laughs> Clearly this shows you how cultured I am as a as someone in the art world. Um, I could if, be wrong. <laughs> I don't know. I just know that I love watching the joy of painting. Um, All the trees. 
Yes. Happy little trees. Happy little, Happy little, little clouds. clouds. We're gonna take some phthalo green and just kind of like <laughs> pat it over this way. <laughs> Uh, what are the what are the other colors that he is? It's like I don't I don't Cerulean know. Cerulean blue. Gonna, yeah, Probably cerulean blue. I'm gonna Bob Ross's <laughs> paint <laughs> colors. Um, Did you know that there is a, a board game about Bob Ross? Are you serious? Yes, it's like it's, I think it's called like the Art of Chill or something like that. We went by it the other day because we were looking for uh, a, a different board game, and we saw Yeah, it's called Bob Ross, The Art of Chill. It's a legitimate board game. It's got a picture of Bob Ross's face with, like, his happy little tree, like, merged onto it. That's and not I, creepy. Not at all. Not at all. <laughs> <laughs> well, let, me, let me just uh, – I'm going to put that picture right in here so you guys can see it. It's, it's, uh, it's something else. <laughs> so – so I, I know all of you are sitting on the edge of your seat here. Oh, I got to look at this. Wow, that is, that is, should we make that like a new profile picture yeah. on one of our social media pages? I think so. Yes. Can it's... we just like, in, instead of the trees in the background, can we get Bob Ross's face with like the kettlebell hand coming over top of his head? We should. I think we totally need well, to. Are you are you CSIing it right now? Or are you just enhancing his face? Enhance. Yes, I am. <laughs> um, <laughs> because because we we left all of our listeners on a cliffhanger here. Uh, the correct answer to the question was alizarin crimson, bright red, cadmium yellow, Ooh. dark sienna, midnight black, phthalo blue, phthalo green, Prussian blue, sap green, titanium white. My favorite, Van Dyke Brown and Yellow Ochre. <laughs> oh my gosh. Those are some interesting he also, he also used to keep a pet squirrel in his pocket sometimes. Cause he like he like rescued like a squirrel that he found that was like lost and was just like an abandoned little baby squirrel and he like nursed it back to health and he would just put it in his pocket and it would hang out while he painted. <laughs> Bob Ross is becoming more and more interesting as this conversation goes on. <laughs> Seriously. Things I didn't know about him. Yeah. I also, I'm pretty sure he was in the military too. And I, I think he was like a drill instructor. He was a, uh, yeah, he was in the Air Force. I'm pretty sure. Let's go to Wikipedia, the, the source of all things knowledge. Aren't you glad that this is how your podcast is starting out? Because <laughs> I am. <laughs> Well, now everyone knows that I love to paint besides just working with runners. This is true. <laughs> there, was, there was more to, to my life. <laughs> How do you, so like, is it, do you need to change it to like run fit paint doc? Ah, foo, I might have to think about a rebranding. <laughs> <laughs> that might be tough. Oh, man. <laughs> so, of, so you said you do acrylics. Do you have, um, have you ever posted any of your paintings on, on social media? Oh, no. I don't think I... I think my family members have them. I don't have any in my home. My mom has one of my favorite ones, and I think my grandparents have the other ones. <laughs> and my dad has a couple, too. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, no, I don't have any in my house. Hmm. What, uh, what types of things do you like painting? Oh, I would say like, landscapes or, like, uh, sunsets. 
I really haven't painted in so long. My, my favorite one was a copy of a Monet. Mm -hmm. It was the lily pads. Yeah. But I haven't done it in a while, so I don't, I don't know. Maybe it changed. Mm. So sometimes, like, when I'm talking to people that really like wine or they're, like, really into art, I pronounce words wrong on purpose. Um, and Monet, I would totally pronounce Monet. Um, <laughs> and then, like, what is it? Uh, cabinet Savignons. <laughs> Oh my God. Would you also call it peanut noir? Uh, yeah, something like that. Um, <laughs> pie note noir. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, sometimes I'll ask for a nice rose. <laughs> I'll, have that, I'll have that rose wine. So um, what's hilarious and something else you guys don't know is that my fiance is in the wine industry. Mm -hmm. So... This would probably make him jump out of his seat hearing his name. Uh, oh, so he's a, uh, he's a, what are they called? Salamanders? Sommeliers? Sommeliers. No, he's not that. Uh, but he does sell wine. Mm, okay. Which has its perks. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's like you, I, you can do like a, your own personal wine tasting at home, too. Yes. Mm -hmm. That's cool. Wait, so do you do wine and paint then? I have done that too. Yeah. You should like. I, now I just need to set it up like in my house and then I'll be all set and I just will never leave my home. <laughs> you just need like a small studio and you can do like wine and paint and then like running evaluations and like <laughs> lifting and running. <laughs> so it's my like, life would be, be complete. <laughs> run fit wine paint doc. <laughs> Uh, it doesn't really roll off the tongue, but it's all right. <laughs> if people people would get it. <laughs> uh, that's what I'm, <laughs> I'm, gl I'm glad that, that, that we stumbled onto the wine part of uh, Run Fit Wine Paint Doc. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, oh, that's awesome. But yeah, so uh. <laughs> anyways, back to uh, therapy. Um, what... <laughs> Aside from uh, painting and running and fitness, what yes. uh, what got you started in the whole like PT thing? Uh, so it was something that I knew back in high school, and thankfully it wasn't because of any serious injuries. I had some ankle sprains, some squat uh, squad quad strains. <laughs> squad strains. <laughs> yeah, squad strains. <laughs> um, but it was just, I wanted to help people, and I, I had volunteered at a local physical therapy office, and they kind of let me come there as much as I wanted to, and I just kind of tried to sponge everything in, and I think being involved in sports growing up kind of triggered the idea. I was like, okay, I want to be with active people, and I knew I didn't want to be at a desk all day, and I want to be able to interact with humans, and I wanted to be able to make a difference. So it was like, all right, what can all of these things, like what can I do to happen, make all these things happen? Mm -hmm. And PT seemed to be that answer, and it, and it has been so far. So mm -hmm. That's awesome. And we, we know from your bio that you uh, went to Sacred Heart. Um, can you speak a little bit mm -hmm. about that program, like what brought you there and, and uh, kind of the experiences that you've had there? Yeah, so 
Um, I didn't really leave myself with many options as I, I only applied to four schools, <laughs> two on Long Island and two in Connecticut. At that time when I was applying, I was like, I don't want to be away from home, which now I'm, you know, I just kept moving further north. <laughs> um, but uh, so Sacred Heart, I was accepted to their pre-PT program. So that kind of made that decision pretty easy. And uh, so I was there. I was there for six years. So did my undergrad and graduate degree there. And they they had a great program. Uh, I don't know how much has changed since I've left. Um, but what I really liked about them is it was a problem based learning program, which means that we did a lot of small group work. So we had groups called tutorials, and we did different case studies and uh, to kind of we had large group sessions, so where the, the professors would lecture, but a lot of our learning was in a group setting and kind of teaching each other about the different topics. Uh, so it was, it was definitely an interesting way to learn, mm-hmm. uh, and I think that helped prepare me for the real world because if there was something I didn't know, it was, it was my instinct to look it up or ask someone or it, I wasn't afraid to ask for help if I needed it or if there was something I didn't know. I wasn't like, oh, yeah, I kind of know this. I can figure it mm-hmm. out. You know, I think it prepared me to seek out the answers if I didn't know okay. them. Now, it was, um, now, you said it was like a, a six-year. So you spent like three years in undergrad and then did the three years in grad school. Is that how that one worked? Okay. Yep. And yep. was the was the problem-based learning um, part of the PT school or was it like part of the whole like undergrad and grad part like experience? Just the just the PT school portion. Okay, cool. So I'm kind of kind of interested in in your experiences, like um, from undergrad into that transition into the grad school. Um, was that like a, mm-hmm. a tough transition to go from like um, not really having that like problem based like learning style, and then going into the the problem based learning style when you started grad school? Uh, yeah, no, it it definitely definitely was tricky because uh, I think I in undergrad was definitely geared more towards like memorize and you know, then you'll just, you'll take the test and you'll pass and whatever. And I didn't really, so it took me a little while to figure out how I was best going to absorb and uh, retain the information in PT school. Uh, So it definitely took me kind of testing out different studying strategies. And I figured out that I needed to read it, write it, do it, tell someone else about it. I needed like all the different study tactics, uh, to kind of process it all. Um, so definitely, definitely takes, take some time Mm -hmm. to figure out, but, um, I, I can appreciate it now going through it. I probably didn't like it as much, but now looking back, I'm like, all right. Yeah, Mm -hmm. that was, that was a good thing. Yeah, That makes sense. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was just gonna say it definitely like, I mean, doing a three and three program, like it, it saves you a whole year. You get started a lot faster. Uh, that's less money that you have to spend in loans. Um, yeah. You know, that's like a smaller townhouse that you have to pay back to the government when you graduate versus like, you know, the three acre farm home that I'll have to pay back. That's mm-hmm. um, <laughs> <It's> true. <laughs> so there's definitely some, some, some pros with that. And I think that there's a lot of schools now that do that. I know SU does that here um with their pt program and i think with some of the other health professions like athletic training i know does it 
I want to say pharmacy and PA do it too. I don't know if that's right, Mike. Um, I'm not fact sure. check me if I'm wrong. Um, but it's, I think it's kind of a cool thing, but you really got to know that you want to go into that program. Because yes. <laughs> we've had some people that did the three and three and they did their first year of PT school and they're just like, yeah, no. So, yeah, thankfully, I'm very thankful that I, it, I knew that I, it was something that I wanted to do. And once I was in, I was like, OK, now I just have to maintain my undergrad GPA and I have to fill out a couple papers and whatever when it, it came time to switch over to uh, grad school. But I think it definitely made it easier. Like I didn't have to take the GREs. I didn't have to go through that whole process. But on the other hand, I went in very young and I graduated very young. So there was other people in my PT class that had other degrees and other majors and stuff like that. So I feel like they were ahead in a different way because they had some life experience where I didn't have necessarily the same life experience. I kind of just plowed through school and was like, all right, let's just get this done with and then I'll figure out the rest of it afterwards. Um, so I think it depends. It depends on where you are and when you figure out that you want to do PT. Mm-hmm. That makes little sense. And I like, I like the, uh, like the, the problem-based style too, because, you know, you mentioned that, um, you know, you were working in these smaller group settings anyway. And what I like what you said was that you weren't afraid to ask for help if you needed it. Um, when you, when you're applying that to the, the real world job, cause I mean, there's going to be, there's going to be times where you're unsure or uncertain about something, um, or need clarification on something and, and having the humility and also just being like, not afraid to ask for help, <laughs> I think is, is a crucial thing. Um, and so that's, that's awesome that, um, the program kind of helped to uh, develop that. Yeah. I think it, it kind of prepares you for like just working in a clinic too. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, even though. I personally despise group projects in PT school. Um, it may have been different because we weren't in a problem-based environment. Uh, but, I mean, you are, even though it's not necessarily the group project, there's still tons of times where you collaborate with different clinicians and go, hey, like, I'm not really sure what's going on or, like, I can't really quite put my finger on, on this particular patient. Like, what do you think? Or do you have five minutes to come over and check something out? Or, you know, can you help me out with, like, X intervention or um, that kind of thing? And so even though at the time I just absolutely despised like group work and like papers and projects and presentations and all that stuff, um, there is like a purpose for it. And being able to interact with people and, and ask for help and collaborate with each other is very much part of like working in a clinic and, you know, especially healthcare in general. Yeah, and, and that's where I, I think I appreciated it the most, you know, start, especially when I was a new grad, you know, I was in a, it's just, it wasn't a huge clinic, but it, it had multiple uh, PTs there, <clears throat> and same, same as what you just said is like, hey, can you just like, I just want a second pair of eyes on this person, like, I just want to make sure I'm not missing anything, and, you know, you start to get that collaboration and then you end up being able to give better care or better treatment because you're like, oh, I didn't miss anything or this so-and-so had this to say and now we're combining our thoughts and ultimately it's to get a better end result. So everyone wins. Yay. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. So what, um, what brought you to 
Boston and PT and Wellness, was that the first clinic that you worked at or did you work somewhere else? No. <clears throat> yeah, I worked somewhere else before that. So I worked at Massport and Spine in Walpole. Uh, that was my first job that I kind of got, thankfully, uh, to someone who I graduated PT school with. I actually moved to Boston on a whim. I was like, I need a change. I'm going to move to Boston. I have a roommate and I don't have a job. So let's go for it. <laughs> <laughs> and within a, yeah, always the smart thing to do as a poor new grad, but hey. <laughs> Uh, it worked out. (laughs) So, um, uh, a guy that I went to PT school with was like, Hey, you're moving to Boston. My clinic is hiring. I was like, Oh, okay. And then I got the job within a month of moving to Boston and I worked there for about a year and a half. Massport and Spine is actually where I met Dave, uh, the owner of Boston PT and wellness. And, uh, when he opened up, uh, his clinic, I had stayed in touch with him and I was, the commute was getting to be a lot for me. And when he was getting busier, I reached out and I did part-time with him until I built up a caseload. And I also did about a three or four month stint doing home care as well. And then I ended up going full-time at Boston PT and wellness until now. Nice. Yeah. What? So you kind of did a little bit, of, a little bit of everything, kind of here and there. That was kind of cool. Yeah, yeah. The home, the home care actually wasn't wasn't bad. Uh, I definitely was ready for it to be over by the time I <laughs> ended it, <laughs> but it was a good experience nonetheless, and it, it gave you a little insight of what else is out there. Mm-hmm. But outpatient is is where I'm meant to be. That's cool. <laughs> well, I, I think that's awesome too. You know, because you have those different experiences in different settings. This could be applicable for students, too, that are kind of going through different internships and all that. And um, you, you find where your kind of niche is uh, and where you find that you're, you know, you feel like you're the, either the most effective and also like the most passionate um, or you just feel like things kind of click and fall in place for you. And you also find areas where maybe maybe not <laughs> so much or the, the, the passion might not quite be there. I mean, you're still obviously helping people and that's like the paramount. Um, but you find where maybe you're, you're more effective in certain other areas. So that's cool. Exactly. Well, awesome. And so now you're moving to Maine? Yeah. And? Yep. So I am here. uh, And, yeah, ready to start with what's next. So what is is what's next? (laughs) Um, So I just launched... God bless you. Um, Launched my own company. Uh, So it's a cash-based PT and coaching company, and it's called Starting Line PT and Performance. And, yeah, it's uh, pretty crazy. I'm like, holy crap, I'm really doing this. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. And are you you up and running already, or are things still trying to, like – put all the stuff together? Yeah, no, it's up and running. It's technically been up and running for the past month, but with going back and forth to Boston, it made promoting myself a little bit harder. I'm renting space out of a gym in Falmouth, Maine, called Beyond Strength. So everyone there is absolutely great and super supportive of me starting out there. 
So I think, like, like I said, this coming week is going to be my first full week there with the exception of uh, the fourth. And, yeah, I, I think everything will just continue to grow from, from here. And I can meet with uh, other local coaches and PTs and running stores. So I think once I can get my name out there, then things will start to pick up. Nice. So what kinds of, as like a, I guess just as a, as a PT who is like embarking on opening your own clinic and doing the cash based thing, um, have you, did you like research it and figure out stuff to do? Is this kind of a process that you're figuring out as you go along? Uh, and are there like tips and tricks that you have for people that are interested in kind of like going, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to open up my own place. I'm going to do the cash based thing. Yeah. So I would say it's a combination of both. I, de- I mean, I definitely did my research enough to kind of get my foot in the door, but I'm also still figuring things out as I go. Uh, as of now, I haven't done any, like there's a lot of different networks and mentorships and stuff regarding cash-based PT. I've kind of held off on that right now, mainly for financial reasons, because a lot of them can cost a pretty penny. Um, But I'm thankful for a lot of mentors that I have uh, that also run cash-based companies that I've been able to reach out to. Uh, Sally Moores is one of them of Artemis PT. Uh, Nathan Carlson is um, the running mate out in Kansas City. Chris Johnson, who was my running mentor, um, who has done more than enough to <laughs> to help me get to where I am now. Um, but he's also helped me a lot with kind of getting things started. So I, I've really done the kind of just connecting with who I have in my circle already. And then I think as I get more involved in it, reaching out, to maybe the bigger sources as needed. Um, but there's a lot of podcasts. Jared Carter has a podcast on, on cash-based PT, so I've been trying to use that as my resource. Um, my current boss, or my old boss, Dave, at Boston PT Wellness, he's been a great resource. So I feel like I have a lot of people in my corner that I want to make use of and kind of figure it out as I go. And then as I need more help, kind of reach out mm-hmm. from there. Now, so. Chris Johnson, uh, that's a name that, I mean, obviously, like, Mike and I follow him. He's, what, Zarin PT? Am I pronouncing that correctly? Yeah. Okay. Yes. Um, but I didn't realize that that was, I had, like, gone to a, a course or something recently, and, and someone was, like, talking about how much, how, like, intelligent that guy was and that they picked up all these things from him. And I was like, wait, I think I follow that guy on Instagram. <laughs> and I always see him do these, like, really unique, like, running-specific exercises. Um, but I'm, like, slowly realizing, like, how much of a, like a you know, really intelligent person he is. And uh, it must have been really cool to, to receive like mentorship and, and guidance and stuff from him. Yeah, he is an incredible, incredible human. Um, and I know Zach has talked about him before, but he, I, I am very lucky to have uh, come across him uh, actually from an old coworker, Matt Ibrahim. He was like, yeah, running, you should totally follow Chris. And I was like, okay. Uh, this is like when Instagram was like something that I like didn't even want to speak of. <laughs> so, <laughs> and then I reached out to him, talked to him a couple times. He's like, yeah, I do this like remote mentorship. And I was like, what? 
Um, but honestly, it was the bet we did like eight or nine sessions and it was the catalyst for my running passion and really pursuing coaching and then even getting ideas for how to run my business and, and really push myself to start it. So I am very thankful for him. That's awesome. How did you, so you, you just met him, like kind of got in touch through Instagram and just like DM'd him? Um, how did I first reach out to him? Uh, I either sent him an email or a Facebook message and then we set up a phone call and from there he kind of gave me the rundown of what the mentorship would entail and price and yada yada. Uh, and then, and then I was like, I thought about it and I was like, okay. And I, I used it as basically like my clinical education for the year or part of it. And I was like, yeah, I'm in. When can we start? And then from there, I've we actually had hosted him at Boston PT and Wellness last year. So we got to see him then. That's when I first officially met him in person. Uh, since then, I went to Kansas City and saw another one of his presentations. And then I'm actually, uh, ICE is putting on this conference in uh, Albuquerque, New Mexico, and it's all about running and endurance athletes and stuff like that. And he's going to be presenting there. Um, I've also joined his uh, Facebook uh, group. It's like an online platform. It's called the Runner Zone, and he has so you log you can log in on his website, and it has lesson plans, article reviews and a whole slew of information videos about running. So I tell any PT that's looking to get into running, like just sign up for the yearly membership and you will get more than you can even imagine <laughs> about running. <laughs> like it's just, I, I can't even like keep up with it. I have to like dedicate specific time to like read and, and listen to all the videos. He does Facebook lives and everything. It's crazy. So yeah, I could I could talk about Chris all day because he's just That's a wonderful awesome. human. You said that you said that was called the Runner Zone. Did I get that right? Okay, cool. So yeah. we'll, we'll make sure we put a link down in the in the description or the show notes uh, for anybody that's interested in, in following cool. up with that. And uh, you've been you've been dropping some like awesome names and like different references and resources. So I've been trying my best to to type some stuff down at the bottom there. Um, oh, I can I can re I can re retell you. Okay, perfect. Sounds good. <laughs> <Whenever>. <laughs> <laughs> Solid. Oh, that's awesome. Okay, so we talked a little bit about um, you know, like PT school and your experiences there, and and starting your own uh, cash based clinic and and focusing on running and all that kind of stuff. Um, I want to touch base a little bit about um, your Instagram handle and, and social media in general and, and how you're using that. So, um, can you tell us a little bit more about uh, RunFit Doc and the inspiration behind it and kind of where you see it going? Yeah, absolutely. So when so I, when I started at Boston PT and Wellness, I that was around the time that I'd been running for a couple years and I took a running course and I was like, I want to do something for runners. Like there's got to be a way to educate runners. There's got to be a way to help runners stop getting hurt. Like what the heck? So I wanted people to be able to identify me as kind of like the running PT, but I mean, there's a lot of running PT. So how could I separate myself in Boston or just kind of make myself known? Um, and I wanted it to, you know, not be separate from Boston PT wellness, but kind of 
like an offshoot. Like I was still going to be doing all of it out of there, but I wanted people to be able to find me for what I wanted to do. I wanted to educate and coach endurance athletes. So, and I wanted to be known not just for PT and treating people, but know that there's like something that I can do or something that runners and triathletes can do before they get hurt. Like there, there's something, there was something missing. So we had the entire office literally brainstorming names on the whiteboard and, and this is when like Instagram, I had one, but I didn't really post and I didn't really care that much. I was like, okay, whatever. And it was actually Dave, uh, my boss that was like, what about like run fit, you know, mm. like CrossFit. And I was like, okay. And then someone was like, doc, run fit doc. And I was like, okay, well that seems appropriate. Cause I didn't want to do like physio or PT. Cause I was like, okay, that, there's a lot. And then doc kind of gave me a little bit more edge or street cred because of the DPT. So I was like, all right, run for doc. <laughs> Holy crap. That sounds awesome. really good. <laughs> um, so I kind of just like went with it and I got a logo made and did a website. The website's nothing fancy, but just kind of like a landing page of like, this is what I do. This is what I offer. Um, I just want, I'm really passionate about helping runners and yeah. So I plan to keep it kind of like as my alias, um, even though I have starting line, uh, because I'll probably use that still as my arena to post information about running triathlons and promote my new business through there. Cause I'm not about the whole two <laughs> Instagrams just yet. So they will be functioning as the same thing, but it will stay as run fit doc since yeah, that's kind of what that, people that makes know sense now. too because yeah, starting yeah, line PT and run fit doc they kind of go well together, hand in hand anyway. Um, so it's like mm -hmm. a it's like a perfect synergy mm -hmm. there. Yeah. Cool. Thank you. Sweet. I'm just really excited for when you finally choose to rebrand to run fit wine paint doc. <laughs> <laughs> Full circle. <laughs> and just like have a lot of pictures or like I'm kind of like I'm imagining this like t-shirt with like a Bob Ross silhouette mm -hmm. just like running you know kind of like the um, like in Forrest Gump where he has got like the smiley face t-shirt on or like when he invents I, uh, I guess he invents the smiley face by wiping his face on something but when like Forrest Gump's running but like Bob Ross just running into the sunset <laughs> Oh my gosh. <laughs> do you think do you think Forrest Gump when he was running that far like got some sort of injury from running? Like um because he like perhaps. ran across the whole United States. I feel like that's a lot of running. Uh that is a lot of running. Um it it definitely is a possibility. Mm -hmm. But maybe he had the right training plan leading up to it. So, you know, and he yeah. took days off. No. <laughs> Who knows? He had proper nutrition and hydration and sleep. It all just came together. It if only really there well was an Instagram, like, handle that he could have clicked on to find out more information about running and, like, and therapy for running. Um. <laughs> Yeah. He would have been golden. Like, <laughs> oh my gosh, that's awesome. 
<laughs> so, so uh, I have a question for you, Danielle. Um, so was looking at uh, your information on RunFitDoc, and it says you're a, a USAT and USATF running coach. Uh, just just kind of curious what the acronyms are and what that yeah. entails. Yes. Yeah, so um, USATF is mm-hmm. uh, USA Track and Field Coaching, uh, and then USAT is mm-hmm. USA Triathlon Coach. So the combo of the two, although I don't really work with a ton of track athletes, at least for now, um, I, my specialty has kind of been endurance athletes. Um, so essentially it just kind of gives me the, the certification to be doing that and gives me a little bit more education on the sports, especially triathlon. Triathlon is very, very, uh, in-depth sport and lots of different elements to go into coaching that. Um, so primarily I have the most experience with coaching at runners 5k to an ultra marathon. And I'm hoping that as I become a more experienced triathlete myself, that my coaching of triathletes will increase over the next couple of years. So still dabbling with that, um, as a newer, newer thing, gotcha. but I'm excited for it. Triathlons yeah. just intrigue me in general. Um, for just like it, it just seems like you're just like bombarding your body with just different forms of cardio um, and just different like types of I don't know challenges I guess. Um, do you find that with any of the tri- triathletes that you've been working with or in your own experiences, like there's certain areas where you feel really strong and then there's other areas where you feel like man, this is the hardest thing in the world. And like, how do you how do you kind of like manage those like different sections? I guess is what I'm thinking like between the run, bike, and swim. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I So when I started out as a triathlete, uh, fun fact, I couldn't even swim like across the pool and back without having to stop. So for anyone out there that's like, I don't know how to swim. Uh, yeah, me neither. So <laughs> you can do it. You can train yourself to do it, I promise. And I also, when I started biking, hadn't rode a bike in, you know, 12 years. Uh, so that was that was a fun endeavor. Um, there were some falls, and there may have been mild tears of panic. Um, but you know, you figure it out. You get over your fears, and you're like, "Yeah, nice. I'm badass, nice. and I'm gonna do it." <laughs> so if you want to do a triathlon, like you can do it. Um, but I, I think for me, at coming like from the running world into the triathlon world, I obviously feel the mm-hmm. most comfortable with running. doesn't mean that it's necessarily my strongest. Like I'm not super fast or anything like that, but I know I can always rely on that. Like I know I'm like, all right, I can, I'm good here. Biking I've definitely gotten more comfortable with uh, because it's, it's more than just like being able to pedal and stuff. It's the stop, it's the go. It's can you clip in and out with your shoes and turning and all that good stuff. Going down hills is terrifying <laughs> when you first start. <laughs> so learning, learning about speed and all that good stuff. Um, but swimming is where I would say I required the most um, kind of focus or training because I'm definitely not fast with swimming. And that can or cannot you know, impact your, your race. It depends on how long the race is. Um, if it's a sprint, which is the shortest distance, then 
a slow swim is can impact you because the slower it takes you to get out the water, then you have to like catch up with the bike and uh, run. But if it's a longer course, then you kind of have a little bit more wiggle room with your swim speed. But that's something that I've definitely worked on the most gotcha. over the past year or so. Kind of interesting. What kinds oh, of? Mm-hmm. Oh, go for it, Mike. No, no, I was just, uh, I was just kind of in- interested. Um, do you, um, I guess. I know you do like different training programs for like different aspects of that, whether that's to run, bike or swim, but are you, when you're working with athletes, are you also training like the transition periods as well? Like how to, how to get the clip in and all that kind of stuff too, or is that um, something like a different part? Uh, yeah, that, that absolutely is just as important. Uh, I'm trying to think of a comparison. Uh, it'll come to me, but you know, you can train the swim, bike, and the run, but yeah, the transition, especially if you're highly competitive, that that's going to be crucial because that that still counts as your overall time. So if you like can't get your wetsuit off and you're spending like five minutes in transition, that's going to totally eat up a bunch of time in your total time. So that's absolutely something that needs to be practiced. Hard to kind of like <laughs> program necessarily. Um, but I would program like brick, what are called brick workouts. So where you set up your running sneakers and everything as if you were going to, you know, transition during the triathlon. And as soon as you get off your bike, you have to take off everything, you know, take off your shoes, take off your helmet, put your running sneakers on and just go. So I could definitely program that as far as, you know, that that's probably something if, if someone was having trouble with that, I would probably try and meet with them in person if they were a local client and and do some training in person with them and trying to help where gotcha. where I think they're getting stuck. Um, but practicing brick workouts are definitely important, especially bike to run, because when you get off the bike, especially if it's a longer bike ride, your legs <laughs> feel like absolute jello. <laughs> and you need about that 10, like 15 minute transition period to like start to feel like you got your legs under you again cool what kinds of distances are you running like what does a normal triathlon look like or does it vary from competition to competition it varies so there's a sprint an olympic uh half half ironman and then an ironman and then you can get into like crazy like double triple ironman and that's just not my realm. Um, but so for the sprint distance, it's typically 0.3 mile swim, anywhere between 15, 15 to 18 miles on the bike, and then a 5K, so about three miles, 3.1 miles. Uh, the next distance, so the Olympic distance, is just shy of a mile swim, so 0.8 to 0.9. Then like a 20... 25 to 29 mile bike. I say there's a range because depending on the like the race organizers, it can fluctuate. Uh, so about 20, 25 to 29 on the bike and then a 10K, so 6.2 miles. And then the half Ironman distance, 70.3. So that's a 1.2 swim, a 56 on the bike, and then a half marathon, so 13.1 miles. And then last but not least, <laughs> yes, it's a long time. <laughs> um, and then the full Ironman is a 2.4-mile swim, a 112 bike, 
and a full marathon, so 26.2. When do you when do you eat lunch and take a nap in those? Honestly, <laughs> honestly, you, you eating on the bike is crucial because that's the long, typically the longest chunk of time that you're on the bike or that you're the biggest chunk of the race is on the bike, depending on the person. Um, so you have to figure out a way to eat on the bike and they have different contraptions and bags that you can clip to the bike. You can put things in your pocket. Uh, that's something that is crucial to practice during training so that your stomach agrees with you on race day. (laughs) So anything that you're going to do on race day, you absolutely have to do in training so that there's no, uh, disasters does anyone do the napoleon dynamite and put tater tots in their pocket when they're that's a great i i want to do that that's actually a great idea because the goos that like the energy goos and stuff those just oh man after a while and training all summer with them you start to get sick of the flavor (laughs) but people get creative i mean people can like mush up um actually sweet potatoes like in like a bag like pre-cooked um, people make like their own like rice crispy treats. Um, there's things called um, like the stroop waffles. Um, I mean, people do some crazy stuff. Pretzels, goldfish. Like you kind of find like, what what works for you. Do they do the goldfish go swimming with them in the in the water and then they like <laughs> bag them up? <laughs> no, <laughs> that's a good question. No, you put you keep those in the transition area so that you can get them after your swim. They're like they're just like in your shoes. You just like lift your shoe up and dump goldfish in your mouth and then throw it on your on your foot. Yes. Yes. What about if you have to- I really like the tater tots, though, man. I might have to start training with those. Because you can, I mean, like, you can squish those up, and they're, like, you know, I mean, it depends on how crispy you like your tots. Mm-hmm. If you, like, cut them short in the oven a little bit, they're kind of mushy. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. like, you know, if you really want them crispy, then that's going to be a little bit harder to eat, I would imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you do if you have to go to the bathroom? Um... Well, there's there are porta potties along the route. Um, how many depends on the course. Um, take advantage of the, the swim part. That's helpful. That's a helpful time to go to the bathroom. Um, depending on how hardcore you are, there are people that go to the bathroom while on the bike, especially in like half Ironman and Ironman distances. Um, so that that happens. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I, they, people are pretty relentless. They'll, they'll just do whatever they got to do. If they're going to, you know, set a PR, then you don't have time to stop at the bathroom. <laughs> I guess that puts so the, I would, I would say it, de- it depends. <laughs> uh, I guess that puts the P in PR. <laughs> it does. It does. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> So for someone like myself who um, is a little bit more like cardio adverse because I do (laughs) a lot of like strongman and powerlifting type stuff, um, if I wanted to get into like maybe not even like a competitive distance of triathlon stuff, but just to like get into running or get into swimming or biking – um, what kinds of stuff would you recommend, like resources or anything like that to 
kind of get me kickstarted? Yeah. So I would say, depending on where your level of cardio is at baseline, definitely just working up your just walking distance. So what I would call a fitness walk. So that's anything faster than about 3.5 miles per hour. Um, and just seeing how long, like typically if you work up to about 45 minutes, 50 minutes, that's a, you know, getting on a good walking program, depending on, like I said, where your starting line is. And then, um, from there going into a walk run. So typically I'm more conservative when people are coming back from injury. So one minute on one minute off and do about 10 rounds of that. Uh, but I typically, it depends on the, the person. So sometimes they're like, Oh, one minute on one minute off is super easy. I could do two, two minutes on one minute off. And that feels, that feels about right. So I kind of have that conversation with people, but definitely starting with walking, then a walk run, building up your tolerance from there, and then continuing to add on to that run portion so that it starts to um, be more than the walking portion and just slowly building up that duration. But there's a couple things to take into consideration. So you have dur duration, so how long you're doing said activity for, how many times a week, so frequency of, how, of running, and then the intensity. So a lot of people are like, I just want to get fast. And I'm like, well, you kind of, you need to build up that duration first. So how long you can do that activity, not just from a cardiovascular standpoint, but your tissues and, and muscles have to get used to withstanding that type of load, especially if it's not used to it. Um, and then I would try doing a little bit. So maybe you start with once a week. And then you do two times a week. And then the last thing that I ever stress for people is increasing their speed. And it might happen a little bit over time, but I don't typically give people speed work until they have a, a solid base under them. So it's like you're, you're building up their capacity for the, for the exercise yes. first and then kind of going from there. That's cool. Yeah. Just like, like if I was going to, you know, start benching, I'm not going to just all of a sudden be like, Hey, can you just throw like hundred pounds on there? I'm great. This is going to be <laughs> awesome. Um, so you, you meet people where they are. <laughs> that makes sense. Cool. Yeah. So I have a question. Um, you mentioned a little bit like, uh, for somebody that's like coming back from an injury or something like that. Um, mm -hmm. there's, there's conversations like that you'll have with, with patients where, um, you know, they're injured and they want to continue to run. So like, have you ever had like a, uh, or like any of those difficult conversations where you have to say, Hey, let's, let's back off the running just a little bit. Or like, how do you navigate those conversations with somebody that's, um, wants to get back to running and is injured and gets a little bit frustrated? Like, where do you go? Like, what, how do you navigate those? Absolutely. Yeah. I have that conversation multiple times a day. <laughs> um, so it, it, it all depends on the severity of the injury. Uh, you know, if we're dealing with a bone stress injury or a, like a full on tear of something, then yeah, they're, they're, I'm not going to put someone at risk for getting a full bone stress fracture. You, you know, at that point, those are the circumstances, or if there are any other red flags, those are the circumstances where I'm like, all right, we need to just completely shut it down until you can tolerate X, mm -hmm. Y, and Z. And I can go into X, Y, and Z in a, in a moment. But um, when dealing with people that can still 
run but need to maybe change their load a little bit because more times than not they it's an overuse injury of sorts and which what I've seen is a load management issue so they're doing too much too soon they're doing too much volume in one week so some people will do maybe they can, they're not ready for back-to-back days some people that I've seen they do a speed workout a hill workout a medium to long run and then they're doing a long run and they're doing these and they're doing like two or three hit classes a week and you're like holy cow that's like a lot of volume on your body and you're not giving your muscles time to recover so those are the types of conversations where I have to say okay yeah it is okay for you to keep running however we need to back off on something something something's got to give or there's a chance that you're still going to experience this pain and I I often give them kind of a parameter I use um, the Wilkes classification scale and it's a staging uh, one to five and uh, stage one is having pain with activity so that you know with mm-hmm. running so if they are having pain I'm okay with that if it's in that like zero to four gotcha. range that five six seven you know we're we're starting to creep around you know something that could be a little bit more significant and I tell them if it's so much so that it's altering your mechanics or it's causing you to limp or do something weird and doesn't feel normal, then that's where you need to pull the plug. But if you're dealing with a little, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, it just, it feels really tight. I'm like, all right, there, more times than not, you can train around that. You know, it's only a two. Okay, that's, that's trainable. We can work with that. But we still need to manage your loads a little bit better. Um, so it, it, it's a lot of education, like with a lot of things we do in PT, um, and just getting them to understand what is, what are all the factors feeding into it? You know, one thing that Chris, you know, talked to me about is understanding people's ecosystem. So that means not just their running and what they're training for, but their life, their relationships, their financial struggles, their other stressors, their sleep, their eating habits, all those things feed into training. If if those things are off kilter, then that could be contributing to some of the pains that they're they're feeling, or not allowing their bodies to recover from the the hefty workouts that they're okay. doing. So you need to dig a little bit deeper and kind of look at the whole the whole picture. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Question, kind of a, to follow up along, just running rehab in general. I I know runners as well as like swimmers and a lot of endurance athletes in general kind of have that stereotypical mindset of like, if you tell them like to change their workload or to decrease running, they're like, no. And they just refuse to do it. How, how do you yeah. manage that? Like, how do you manage the stubbornness and like that, that mentality of like, I can't do this because if I modify what I'm going to do, I'm going to get worse or my time's going to drop or I'm not going to be ready for this marathon or this competition. Mm-hmm. Um, it definitely took me a little while to feel comfortable and, and confident having these conversations because uh, it was something where they were like, well, I'm not going to do that. And I'm like, okay, well, okay, then, well, I'm just going to sit here and just let you continue to get hurt. Like, <laughs> um, So you learn to, it's not necessarily uh, telling them, it's a, 
hey, there's one side of the fence and there's another side of the fence. We can, we can stay on this side and continue to do what you're doing and the pain's gonna stay there or it may get a little bit better but not get completely better. Or, you know, this is just my suggestion. I highly recommend that you try X, Y, and Z just for a period of time. You know, let, let's just try this for the next two weeks and see how things go. You know, it's, it's like a negotiation. You're like, all right, so you're not going to listen to everything that I say, possibly, but maybe you listen to this one little part, and if you just make that one little change for now, then they start to buy in because they're like, oh, this kind of worked. I am feeling better. This was worth taking a week off of my training or not doing that last speed work, but I can still do my medium runs, and everything feels good during my you know, regular runs. It's just the speed work that bothers me. You know, they, they start to, when they start figuring it out on their own, you're like, yes, thank you. Yes. So you almost have to like, they say you lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. Exactly. (laughs) That's exactly the fine line that, that we took like tiptoe around. It's you, you have to give them the information and the, the facts and stuff to kind of figure it out themselves and you guide them there and help them as needed. But ultimately they kind of come to that conclusion on their own, like very minimally, unless, like I said, they're at risk for a stress factor. Do I say like, yeah, no, don't run that race. If you run that race, nope. Like you can't run that race. I never say you can't do that. I say, Hey, you, you could run that race and everything would be totally fine. Or you can run that race and, you know, things hurt even more. And then you have two months or three months of recovering. And then when they hear that, they're like, oh, hmm. Yeah, I guess that race isn't so important anymore. <laughs> so it, it, it's all about posing it different ways until they kind of grasp on and come to that conclusion gotcha. themselves. That's awesome. I, I like what you um... – the, the kind of negotiation tactic too of putting a, a timetable on things being like, Hey, let's, let's try this for two mm-hmm. weeks and then see where we get from there. Um, cause that, that's kind of like a little bit of give and take, like you were mentioning saying like, okay, well I'll give it for two weeks. And if it's not feeling any better then okay. You know? Um, but nine times out of 10, I'm sure that they get the chance to try to modify a little bit and they do start feeling better and they start buying into that. So that's a, that's a cool tactic there. Yeah, that's what it's all about is just getting them to understand where you're coming from and that you're not trying to be the bad guy. You're, you really are just trying mm-hmm. to help them. Um, they just sometimes don't like the answers. And I, I, I can understand that. I've been injured before, and when I've been told that I have to stop doing stuff, it definitely is not the best feeling. But at the, at the end of the day, you're, you're better because of it, and you come mm-hmm. back stronger, you know? Absolutely. Cool. I like the bartering system because it uh, reminds me of the board game Settlers of Catan. <laughs> oh my god, that game! I can't. Um, and so, oftentimes, I will, when trying to change a way a person um, thinks about a certain intervention, I'll pull out a small uh, two by three card with a, a sheep on the front of it and try to goad them into doing uh, my suggestions based on a, a trade for goods and resources. Um, but on a more serious note, the, it's, it's interesting that you mentioned the, um, 
that notion of like, because no, wa no one wants to be either the clinician or the patient in the interaction of you can't do that. Mm -hmm. Like right. I'm, I'm going to write a note or something that says you can't do that. And I mean, certainly there are times when that happens. Like if you write a note for somebody that says like, you know, please excuse them from gym class while they're being undergoing therapy or if Mike, for you and me in the, the AT setting, like, you know, if somebody has a concussion or, or we suspect a concussion, like we're pulling you from the game um, because there are certain things that you, you, you don't want to risk. Right. But in, you know, when you're talking about like that, that pain zone that's like allowable or maybe it's just some tightness, um, definitely don't, you really don't want to be that person because I feel like that, that kind of like plays into the whole therapeutic alliance thing. Mm -hmm. And when someone looks at you as like an enemy or uh, the one that's like holding you back from your goals, it like you kind of lose that alliance and then things become like less effective. So playing that game and, and trying to frame it so that you're more of a friend and you're offering a suggestion rather than just like, you know, mandating that you can't do something. Um, it's yeah. definitely like a really good, really good concept. Absolutely. And especially because more times than not, when I'm, I'm seeing patients, I'm seeing them after they've seen someone else mm -hmm. and that someone else, whatever profession it is, has said, oh, well, if it hurts running, just, just stop running <laughs> or like, well, you should just, you should just not do that. That's bad for your knees. And like, it's clearly the running that is causing your pain. Duh. And I'm like, they said, what? Hmm. Like, oh my God, nothing drives me more nuts than that, than that. It's like, no, taking away the thing that someone loves doing is not the answer because you know what? That causes more problems because that's their stress relief. Mm -hmm. You know, it, ugh. I could go down the crazy rabbit hole now, but um, yes, at the end of the day, building, building a therapeutic alliance and, and showing these people, patients, that you're here to help them reach that goal, you just might have to take a couple like side roads and then like get back onto the, the main road, then, you know, then they start to see like, oh, this person's on my team. They're just like making sure that I get there the right, you know, the right way. Totally. I was going to say something and I forgot what it was. <laughs> uh, I have like a brain freeze right now. <laughs> oh man, it was like, I felt like it was something that was going to contribute to the conversation as a whole. Uh, Mike, use your mind powers and tell me what I'm missing. Gosh, I don't know. That works once a day. I've already used it. <laughs> All right. I don't know. I can't remember. Never mind. It'll come yeah, back it to will. you. It'll, it'll probably come back at like two or three this morning or this tomorrow morning. Gonna... I'm going to scream myself awake mm -hmm. and and then realize what it was that I was going to say. Mm -hmm. I hate that. What can you do, man? <laughs> Something about running. <laughs> It had something or to do fitness. with running, fitness, or wine, or painting. <laughs> One or the other. One of those things. Um, but I guess like random question because I don't know what I, I was gonna say before. Uh, but shoes. 
Yes. Riddle me shoes. And <laughs> why are they and are they important for running? Whew, it's a great debate. Um, shoes are shoes are a hot topic. Um, and yes, I, I, I mean, they can be necessary for some people. For some people, they aren't, and they like to run barefoot. Uh, you can kind of go back and forth all day about it, but at the end of the day, the, the recommendation that I give my runners is that the 100% most important thing is that you are comfortable in that shoe. You have to love that shoe because if you don't, you're not going to wear it. Hmm. You know, a lot of people spend time of like, I pronate, I do this. You're supposed to pronate when you run. That's so weird. Um, um, so I think, I think some of the extremes of like over pronating and supinating too much and doing all these crazy things biomechanically sometimes get a little bit too much focus. So all of a sudden people need orthotics and they need stability shoes and yada, yada, yada. And then there's another camp that says, well, if you just were a barefoot runner or you wore minimalist shoes, then you would have no problems at all. But the problem with that is, is that everyone is shaped a little bit different. Everyone's foot's shaped a little bit different. Everyone strikes a little bit different. And it's very hard to get everyone on the same page as far as foot strike and um, how they're striding and, and so on and so forth you know, no one runner is the same. So to say everyone needs to be in the same shoe, everyone needs to be striking the same way, it, I just, that's not my thought process. Um, I think instead of having everyone go one way, find a shoe that fits that mm. runner, you know. And I think sometimes that takes testing out a couple different shoes. Um, but at the end of the day, the, the runner is the one that has to be the, the most happy with it. So I tell people, like, go to the running store. Like, that is their job. Try on 15 pairs of shoes if you have to. Like, it's okay. Mm. That's literally what they, they are supposed to do. They're supposed to go get you the shoes, you try them <laughs> on, and you tell them if you like it or not. It's okay. <laughs> Maybe make two trips if you need to, if you feel bad. Um so that, that, that's kind of the general rule of thumb that I use for um, my runners. And I tell them to also have rotating pairs. So not just one pair of shoe that you wear until they're completely shot, but kind of rotating through two pairs. And not just two pairs of the same shoe, but two or three, if you can swing it, of a different style shoe. Um, they've done research on that and by having more than one pair of shoes in your rotation can actually decrease the risk of injury by 39%. Ooh. So kind of cool thing um, to just, it's like, oh, that's something so simple because uh, your foot always has to adapt to something different if um, it's in a different shape or style shoe, different demands of different muscles and stuff. So interesting little tidbit. Yeah. So going along the... You mentioned like pronation, supination, and kind of like a, you know, there's obviously going to be some sort of anatomical variance and different people are going to run different ways. Um, but what about it? Like if you have like a very, very unique, like structural difference, 
Um, mm-hmm. Like, do you you do orthotics? You recommend orthotics? Is orthotics something that like we should shy away from? What are what is the general consensus out about stuff like that? So once again, another highly debated topic in this uh, realm. Uh, I would say they're a touch overrated and overprescribed because it, they're, you know, said to be like, oh, if you have orthotics, everything, you're never going to have to worry about anything. And that's not always the case. Granted, there, there might be really severe cases that are, like, not trainable, like, you know, like you said, some sort of really extreme, you know, high, high arch or really, really extreme, you know, uh, pes planus or something like that. But very rarely do I prescribe it off the bat. If we've tried, like, if we've tried nothing else, that's not the first thing that I say. You know, I prescribe different uh, foot intrinsic exercises because, you know, ultimately the the arches and the muscles inside your foot are supposed to be your internal support. So if we address those and we strengthen those and things still don't get better, then yeah, maybe, maybe there's a need for it. Um, I, the one way that I do use orthotics is I, I have people buy like over the counter for like temporary cases uh, when they're getting back into um, running with like posterior tibialis tendonitis or plantar fasciitis. I think they're good for temporary relief while the symptoms calm down and they have that time to start building up their foot strength and building up that internal support system and then they can kind of wean off of them. Um, so they have their place sometimes but definitely not the first thing that i rely on gotcha one of the reasons i ask is i'm treating somebody who uh has the it's probably like a 15 to 20 degree four foot varus just like pretty very gnarly like variants in foot structure Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's just kind of on my mind right now. Uh, I would say it depends on what they're coming in for and what their, you know, what are their goals? What do they want to do? And is having an orthotic going to improve their quality of life or improve their ability to do those functions? Or are there ways to to train or you know, get them to still get back to the activities they want to do without it. Or maybe it's such an extreme case that it is appropriate. You know, I do have some patients that have come in and they're like, I've worn orthotics for 20 years and I will not run without them. I'm like, okay, like I, okay. There's been some people that I, that had worn them for a while. And I'm like, Hey, why don't we just, why don't we just try running without them? And they've been open to it and I've trained them out of them. And they're like, oh, yeah, I don't even put them in my shoes anymore. So, like, it, it kind of works on the extremes, and it depends on the person and what they're comfortable with. Some people you might be able to sway, and some people are, like, very set in their ways and like, nope, I'm not, I do not feel comfortable running without them. I'm like, okay, great, carry on. Mm-hmm. So it's one of those good old depends uh, <laughs> answers. <laughs> uh, it circles right back to um, kind of meeting patients where they are, too. You know, mm-hmm. if they're, if they're exactly. not willing to, to not wear them, then you say, all right, next. That's awesome. Okay. Uh, so a question for you, Danielle, um, just talking a little bit about, um, 
being a PT in general and, and kind of uh, keeping consistent with your workouts. So, so how do you balance being a full-time PT and being disciplined with your workouts at the same time? Do you have any strategies that you kind of use or anything like that? It's, it's definitely tricky. Uh, I think having an event that I'm training for seems to help me stay focused on completing workouts because I have that end goal that I'm working towards. So that, you know, those days where I'm like, ah, you know what, I just want to sleep in or, you know, I'm not going to work out after work because I'm tired. I'm like, oh, actually, maybe I should do that workout that I had set up. So it all depends. And I think over the past two years or so, I've gotten much better at being a bit more intuitive with my workouts and really listening to my body. Like if I got a crappy night's sleep or I just went to bed too late, um, then I'm like, all right, no, that, that workout's just not happening and that's okay. And I think accepting when workouts don't happen is just as important as getting your workouts in, if that makes sense. Um, so I definitely use training for specific events as a motivation. Um, but I also make sure like, I really like to be involved in group workouts. So for the past five years, I've worked out with this, um, this group called November project, which is this like huge movement that's gone to different countries and different cities and stuff like that. And essentially it's, it's a huge accountability group for just showing up to workouts and, you know, the, it started in Boston and has grown from there and they meet three days a week. So it's like, you tell someone you're going and they're like, all right, see you Friday. And you're like, Oh, I have to go. Cause I told so-and-so that I'm going on Friday. And it, it just created a really great environment and has taught me to just hold myself, hold myself accountable and hold other people accountable. But it's fun too. You know, I think there's something to be said about kind of having that team feel, especially if you, you know, grew up playing team sports, it, you know, kind of brings you back together and you're like, Oh, someone's looking forward to like seeing me there and they're going to like cheer for me and tell me to run faster or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the same can be, you know, maybe the group setting isn't your thing and that's fine. But, you know, in the off season, like I had Steph Allen write my strength programs. Cause I was like, if I have something written for me, I'm going to do them. I don't want to write my own strength programs. And I knew that when I got to work that day, she was going to be like, so how'd that workout go? And I'd be like, Oh, I didn't do it. Or, oh, it felt great because I did do mm-hmm. it. Um, so if you're more of a, you know, introvert, which is totally fine, then having, whether even if it's not a coach that you're paying for, just a friend say, hey, can you just like, can you do something for me? And, or just check in on me and say, hey, did you do that workout? I think having some sort of, I would say in November Project is accountability accountability buddy is someone that just is like you check in and you're like yeah I, I did my stuff so it's helpful that's perfect I think that's, that's such an awesome thing and I, I totally feel you on that um, there have been times especially like during workouts I usually do my workouts in the mornings and it is so easy when you're curled up in this, this loving cocoon of warmth and like friendship in bed to just like hit the snooze button and like just roll over and forget the world for another 10 minutes or so or 20 minutes or whatever. But when you have somebody that you're going to be meeting at the gym or they're coming to pick you up or you need to go pick them up to get to the gym, um, then you can't. You're just like, well, no, I, you know, like you just like you just said, um, they're expecting me to be there. Uh, I'm going to see them. So I need to get out of this cocoon of warmth and, <laughs> and go get my lift on or whatever. <laughs> 
Oh yeah, absolutely. And it, and it changes like now that it's, it's nice out and the sun rises at like five 30. I'm like, all right, I'm up, I'm up. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> I got it. But like winters are hard. Mm-hmm. Like winters, I need to like dig deep for motivation because it stays dark for a really long time. And like, no joke, that is a real struggle. <laughs> it's dark when you get up for work, dark when you get back from work. Yeah. It's just, it's like a sick joke. It's, <laughs> it's just not cool, but you figure it out and you're like, all right, I need extra friends in the winter <laughs> to work out with. <laughs> Definitely know those feels mm-hmm. of just like the, the darkness yeah. all the time. It's nice now because it's summertime. <laughs> So when yeah. I work out at like seven or eight o'clock at night, it's still light out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But after training in like a group environment for so long, I could, I could not train by myself. It just, yeah. It's, it's hard. Totally. Mm-hmm. Cool. Kind of going along that <laughs> same line. Um, we're talking about like different exercises and that kind of stuff. Um, what advice would you give to those people trying to kind of like blend work life and like non-work life? Ooh, good one. Um, this is something that definitely took me a while to kind of get a handle on and something that I struggled with for a bit and depending on the day still Mm -hmm. do. And maybe with my new work schedule might have an easier time, but try your very best to leave work at work. Like that is huge. Like there's so many times where I was like, all right, don't do your notes at home. And I still did it. Cause I, there was just like this angst of like, but I don't want to start behind tomorrow. Like I don't want to do it. But then I would get home and then all of a sudden it was, you know, nine 30, 10 o'clock. And then I'm like, but, and then before I knew it, I was going to bed at 11 and then waking up and doing it all over again. And I think those days that I finish them at work or I just say, hey, I'm pressing pause, I'm going home, I'm not doing notes at home, I just felt 10 times mm-hmm. better. So I think finding something that you love to do outside of PT or your job if you're not a PT is so, so crucial. Like you need to be able to dissociate yeah. because if you don't, it, it's just going to be weighing on you. Like I have notes to do, I have, I have notes to do. Oh my God, this patient isn't getting better. Oh my God. Am I, am I like doing the right things? Do I know enough? Do I need to do another continuing ed? Mm-hmm. Like you're just constantly thinking about it. And I think it's really important to just separate yourself sometimes. And that doesn't mean that like you can't hustle and like optimize your time, like wake up early, get more done in the morning. I don't mm-hmm. know, but you have to find downtime. Like you need to turn your brain off. You need to turn your phone off. You need to just separate yourself so you decrease burnout yeah I, I love that i love what you said about just taking the pause button or just pressing the pause button for a little bit and just letting you just mm-hmm. dissociate and decompress for a little bit um yeah it's it's huge mm-hmm. like because <laughs> I, I i found that when i do that i i'm just so much happier at home too like and i can like enjoy my workouts i can enjoy my runs and yeah maybe i'll still like kind of have brainstorm sessions when I'm running or swimming or something because I can just kind of get lost in that. But I'm not actively doing work, which is important. That's something that definitely resonates with me. Like as a, you know, clinician that's only been working in in the real world for six months, It that's something that I've been trying to struggle to find. Um, 
just because like, you know, between like at work we're doing, we're working on like some different projects and some different opportunities are coming up and I'm helping out at like Shenandoah University as like a lab assistant. And so there's all these different things and my days are getting longer and sometimes it's hard to just find that, uh, that balance. Yeah, it, no, it's definitely hard. And I think another reminder, especially new grads like you guys, you know, or newer grads even, um, is it's okay to say no to things too. Like I, it definitely took me a little while to, to realize that because you, you get so excited and you're like, oh my God, I want to be involved. My job's doing this project and this, this, and this, you know, at the end of the day, you're like, you have to realize like, eh, how full is my plate? do I have extra room? Can I have like a second helping or like, do I need to be like, Nope, no dessert. Sorry. <laughs> I'm good. Um, just to keep it in perspective, like there's, there's going to be more time. There's going to be more opportunities. There's going to be more times to say yes to things. But if you're at a time in your life where there's a lot there, it's okay to say no. Yeah. That's so clutch. <laughs> yeah. That's the truth though. I, I feel like, um, just in general, we, we we fall into that trap of just trying to please please too many people at the expense of ourselves and our own sanity too. So just being able to say no, like you said, I really I really like the analogy of the the, the second helping and the dessert. That's awesome. <laughs> it's making me hungry too, but that's great. <laughs> but it's true. So, yeah, I mean, sometimes you just gotta say, nah, I'm not gonna have dessert." <laughs> and there, yeah. um, that's that's great. So uh, we're, we're running up on the end of our uh, show here. We just got a couple other questions for you. This has been uh, really enlightening and awesome. So um, I was looking through some of the questions that we had, and this this one looks great. And I just I have to ask it because it's a, I think it's cool. But, um, you know, like how is a failure or a, an apparent failure set you up for later success? And do you have a favorite failure of yours? Yeah, so failures are always uh, fun to reflect on because, like, I don't know, you don't really – take time to think about them when you're like doing it all right. You're like, yeah, I've been doing pretty good so far. So you're like, Oh, forget about those failures. I, <laughs> so it was interesting for me to reflect back and be like, what were, Oh yes, those. Yes. <laughs> um, so I, uh, I actually failed evidence based practice class. That was awesome. Um, it was not just me, but so that made me feel a little bit better because it was just, it was just hard stats. Not my thing. Learn that. Um, Thankfully, they did do a remedial class uh, over the summer, which allowed me to like not have to stay behind or anything like that. Um, but it was definitely um, a humbling experience to be like, okay, yeah, I got to put in a little extra legwork and I have to you know, meet with the professor one-on-one because I clearly don't understand him teaching while he teaches to the whole class. So like, I need to carve out more time to do that. Um, and then I also had a close call during my acute care clinical, um, hospitals and I just not, just not my thing. <laughs> Don't get along. Uh, it was just, it was very interesting. There was a lot of, I think, different dynamics. It was a big hospital, which I asked to be in. It was, uh, Beth Israel. So I, you know, I, that's kind of how I fell in love with Boston. So I'm thankful for that. But the time management in that setting is just it just didn't make sense to me. And I was on the oncology unit. So mm-hmm. I 
I was dealing with a lot of sick people that just did not want to be bothered or they were going home on hospice, which was like a whole other life lesson in itself that was just hard for me to kind of take in. Mm-hmm. Um, especially I was, how old was I? 21, 21, something like that. So like I was still pretty young adult and I was like, this is, this is a lot. This is like not my cup of tea, but I really just have to finish this clinical. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they, they just didn't think I was being productive enough. And there was a couple of cases where they thought I was unsafe, but I was safe. Like it just, we, we kind of butt heads with my CI and it was just, it was hard, but I was like, I have to finish this and I'm, I'm not giving up now. And I think both of those scenarios taught me humility, but also perseverance. Like you just have to get this done. Like this might suck. You might hate this, but you just have to figure out whatever your solution is. Like just get it done. Um, but it showed me what I did and didn't like. Like, I don't like working in a hospital. Great. Learn that. I also knew I wasn't going to be like conducting research anytime soon because it just stats don't make sense to me. So mm-hmm. I think it, it helped put me on a, on a path in a direction of things that I did want to do and that I was interested in. But it also reminded me like, Hey, you're not just going to like fly by the seat of your pants, like you actually have to put in some work and you really have to show these people that you want to do this and that you're going to get better at it. So, yeah, that's awesome. I don't know if you could hear me, but I was being speechless. <laughs> <laughs> that's just a, so. that's just an awesome reflection. Just on like, and I think, I think a lot of students and a lot of people have been in situations like that where it's, either a grind to get through a certain clinical that maybe isn't quite, uh, you know, like jiving with them so much, or, or if it's, it's going through, you know, those challenges, you know, they say failure can be the greatest teacher because it does make you pause for a minute and kind of reflect on, you know, what, what could you change or how could you improve or be better? So I, that's awesome. Thank you for sharing that. Of course. Mm-hmm. So kind of, kind of following along these like same train, the same train here, same, same train. There we go. <laughs> Words. I'm having some struggling this evening. Squad, squad strain. Squad strain. How now, brown cow? <laughs> the, the human torch was denied a banquet. The rain in Spain stays mostly on the plains. Oof. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Uh, what, what kind of advice would you give uh, to a smart, driven college student about to enter the real world? And what advice might they ignore? Yeah. Um, you don't have to have all the answers right now. Uh, you, you will figure it out. Um, but at the same time, although you don't have to have the answers right now, don't expect anyone to do it for you. They're, you know, they're not just going to be like, here's your golden platter. And these are all the answers to life. No, it doesn't work like that. Uh, you still have to put in the work to get to where you want to go. Uh, and the big thing is don't, oh, or not don't, but stop comparing yourself to anyone else. Cause I know I'm guilty and of doing that. And I need to constantly remind myself that it, it's not about being like someone else. Yeah. You can have inspiration or motivators, but ultimately you have your own personal goals that you are trying to achieve. So focus on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Everybody's journey is a little bit different and everybody's going it. uh, different directions so it's important to focus on your own goals and kind of move forward that way 
Absolutely. That's awesome. Okay. We've got one or two more questions here, and then uh, we'll be kind of running through near the end of our show here. So uh, I'm just kind of curious, you know, we, we have been asking a lot of our, our guests lately on uh, different books that they're reading, just in terms yeah. of just kind of getting a perspective and changing things up and, and kind of hearing all that kind of stuff. So just kind of curious, like what books are you reading right now? Do you have any that you'd recommend to our listeners? Uh, so the Millionaire Morning by Lewis Howes um, has been has been the one that's currently on my nightstand. Uh, try and read a little bit. I don't want to say every night, but I try to. I leave it on the nightstand so it reminds me, like read. You should read. <laughs> but I'm I'm bad at that, and I fall asleep really quickly. So it, it's going to be a slow read, even though it's probably like 40 pages. <laughs> um, and the other one is Traction by Gino Wickman, which was a highly recommended book from Mr. Zach Gabor. Nice. Um, so those are two kind of focused on building business, and I figured what better time than now to read those. <laughs> Truth. <laughs> well, yeah that's awesome we'll uh we'll be sure to uh put links in the description for anybody else that's interested in reading those we we'll definitely gonna be checking those out danielle absolutely favorite band yes. favorite netflix show oh favorite band oh all time current give me top three uh, if that makes it easier no, I'm really, I've always sucked at favorites. Like, no joke, I, it's just bad. Um, all right, let's start with favorite show. It's not a Netflix show, because I don't, I don't do Netflix, but I do Hulu. Okay. Um, currently, in this, like, warp of watching Parenthood, total girl show, but I like that. This Is Us, another girl show. But I did get into Designated Survivor, which is not a girly show, um, and uh, I really enjoyed that, but they haven't had another season yet, so I'm kind of on pause with that. Um, favorite band? Jeez. Uh, the hell do I listen to? Acceptable answers include Third Eye Blind. <laughs> um... They're not bands. I listen to like individual uh, artists, like I don't know, uh, Sam Hunt, Ja Rule's popping into my brain because that's like the one Pandora station that I play on the regular. Ja Rule Radio. Uh, nice. Yeah, dude, the best, the best. Oh, you guys really caught me off guard on this one. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez, this is hard. Uh, mm. Can I get a pass? No, totally, no, I have to you answer totally this. Pass. Ja Rule Radio counts. Right. Ja Rule Radio let's, counts. let's make sure we link that Spotify channel on the bottom for our listeners. Right, totally, totally. <laughs> Putting it in now. <laughs> um, so... Mike, we have one more question that we always ask, so I'm going to go ahead and let you roll through that. Yes. So there is one question that we always ask at the end of our show. Uh, so we here at the Movement Docs, we believe in always moving forward in all that you do. Based on all of your previous experience and knowledge and life and love and the pursuit of happiness, what is one piece of advice that you'd give to anyone listening to this show to help them be the best versions of themselves? 
Hmm. I would have to say find something that you are passionate about and follow that. Like if there's something like if there's not your dream job that you've like stumbled upon, like make it, make that happen and include your passions inside of that. Because if you don't love what you're doing, Ooh, it makes things a lot harder <laughs> to wake up every morning and, and go to work. But if you love what you're doing and you're passionate about what you're doing, then it's not work mm-hmm. at all. Truth. <laughs> I like that. I like that a lot. And in fact, Danielle, we like you so much and all of your enthusiasm and just like, I mean, you're an awesome person in general. Um, you have been nominated, uh, should you be willing to accept uh, the title of Honorary Movement Doc. I would be honored. Thank so you, guys. So you will join the ranks of uh, many great people that have gone before you, uh, such as Dr. Cameron Marshall. Um, the, I mean, at this point, it just seems like we're giving them all to the, um, the Justice League up in Boston. Which is, <laughs> I don't know why, but you guys are just really good at giving us like warm and fuzzies and stuff. Um, oh, thanks. But yeah, so you're joining the ranks of Zach and Steph and uh, Michael Amato and all those cool people. Excellent. That's so exciting. Woo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Danielle, we can't thank you enough for uh, taking the time to be on our show. Uh, if anyone listening to the show wants to get in contact with you, what's the best way that they can do that? Uh, so Instagram at runfitdoc is definitely where I, I linger the most. Uh, Facebook, Danielle Adler, almost Danielle Crute. Mm. Um, but I'll still keep it Adler on there so people can don't get confused. Um, and then they can always email me at my new email. It's Danielle at startinglinephysicaltherapy.com. Perfecto. Well, cool. Well, thanks again for tuning in this week where we spoke with Danielle Adler, PT, <laughs> RunFitDoc. <laughs> if you have any questions, comments, okay. or concerns, or have a topic that you'd like us to discuss, shoot us an email at tmdmovementdocs at gmail.com. Thanks, and we'll see you next week. All right, Mike, I'm going to go watch uh, Parenthood and drink some Cabinets Vignons. (laughs) 